Well, hey everybody, and welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. Today, my guest is Dr. Susan. She has written a book called Sexually Woke. The questions she asks in the book are, what is the connection between a woman's sex drive as she ages and the degree of relationship, intimacy, and spirituality? What does spiritual connectedness and sex have in common? Could the dots be connected? I read her book. I thought it was incredibly well-written. It was conversational. It was interesting. And it surprised me in that it didn't really go to detailed tips right away, but more to an invitation to come fully into yourself in midlife. She is an award-winning gynecologist in Houston, Texas, and a mama, and many other things, as you will learn in this episode. One of the most interesting things to me is that when she was coming up with the idea for the book and preparing the information for the book, is she was listening deeply to her own patients, and most of them were having an unpleasant experience of their sensual and sexual lives in midlife. But there were a few that she talks about in this episode that she called angels. And these are people who are radiant and fulfilled in this free period. So she did her study of a thousand women who were fulfilled and satisfied and looked for the commonalities between them to extract what we all might do and learn to mimic that in our own lives. Now, you know, I have the utmost belief that every period of a woman's life is radiant, fulfilled, that we're just releasing things that don't serve us and we're shining and brighter and brighter all the time. And I think you'll find Dr. Susan is on that same page. So please join me in welcoming to the Rose Woman Pod, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. Dr. Susan, how much I loved reading this book. I get to read a lot of books uh, for Rosebud and for the pod, and most of them are mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> and yours was just delightful. It was such a wonderful combination of uh, personal story and, and uh, really good research and active content that you could activate on. And I'm take, so take happy away. to hear that. Well, I'm very flattered. Thank you. <laughs> so I just want to start with the title. Um, we, it's Sexually Woke is the book. And I wanted to know what do you, what and where do you think people are asleep? What are they waking up from? Yeah, so I love the title too. And it wasn't mine. I'll have to give credit to one of my amazing patients who described herself this way. And I just thought, that is exactly what we're talking about because previously the people, these wonderful women who I was researching in the group who were having this vibrant, really all in sexual or intimate relationship, we called the positive responders, which is so not sexy. So I was very glad that someone came up with something better. But um, to me, I went through this waking up myself. Um, I realized that I had spent most of my life in a trance of just following what I was supposed to do. It wasn't that I didn't have joy sometimes and I didn't have, you know, wonderful things happen, but I had no awareness that I was in control of myself. I was outsourcing my power, security, and control to other people and other things and being a people pleaser and a busy mom and just every, if you asked me who I was, 
and I talk about this a lot in the book, I could not answer without using something that was relating to someone else, like mother, wife, doctor, triathlete, whatever. But none of that was really about me. That was all just about relationship to somebody else. So the, the waking up to who I am and then in, in, con- in the context of sexual relationships, the waking up to the amazing possibility that, that we don't have to live in a box that's defined by society or, you know, of culture, parents, church, media, that there really is no box. Um, and, you know, waking up to the, what I really am just going to say is the truth or the reality that we're just this infinite sea of possibility and that we have the key to our own door and once we get outside of those walls there's this incredible field to play in that I was completely unaware of so I that's the waking up just realizing what's already there it's it's already there it's all been there the whole time (laughs) but we don't see it it's beautiful because the waking up is um all across it's across all of the dimensions of your life that you are totally dwelling in possibility but now you're taking and applying that specifically to the sexuality box and 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 saying even within this realm anything is possible yeah and i've told people that i could have written this book if i was a you know if i was a florist or a dress designer you know i just happen to be a gynecologist so i live in this world where sexuality is a big part of what we do. And so in my context, you know, through my lens, that's where it expressed itself the most. And also through my own personal experience of going through years of having no interest in sex. And I thought that was normal. And if Mm -hmm. normal means common and average, it actually is normal, but normal is not always optimal and just not, not settling for that and just, realizing that you know anytime we cut off part of ourselves whether it's our sexual being our creative being our you know, any part of ourselves we're not living in our full aliveness so just this idea that waking up to who we really are is just seeing what's already there and i love that quote by emily mcdowell that it's not about you know finding yourself isn't about like finding you know like finding a 10 dollar bill in an old coat pocket it's about seeing what's already been Mm. there Um, and in Buddhism there's a saying that we have dust in our eyes and we have to just wipe the dust away it's not that we it it's just an inability to see what's already there and so I there was so many comments when I interviewed these amazing women for the book that use these words you know awakening waking up um, aliveness Mm. you know fullness and they, they all kind of alluded to the same reality like the same capital t truth really and but through all kinds of different cultural backgrounds and different religious backgrounds they all came across this by you know independently which i thought was so beautiful what i heard what i heard in the what i read in the book it seemed to me that you had been assessing most of your patients i think you said 60 percent of your patients were unhappy with their sex lives and then there was this seven percent that were sort of really happy or satisfied I love that you didn't uh, go to what is wrong for the 60% to find your answer, but go to what is right with the 7% and see if there could be anything extrapolated from that. So I wonder, so you have so, so you have this personal narrative and this personal journey, but then when you decide to do the study, can you talk about the process you went through to, um, to do the study and find those women? 
Yeah, and it was it's such an adventure because I mean I'm I'm not a uh, researcher by nature. I went into private practice and got out of the academic world, you know, right after residency, and um, but that wasn't my particular field of interest. But when I was going through this uh, on my own, so in my own life, uh, in my forties, just realizing that my relationship wasn't you know, my marriage was falling apart. We, we weren't connecting on any sort of intimate level. Um, I didn't really care if he was home or not. In fact, you know, we, we just really didn't care about where the other person was. It was very little intimacy. And I, I had convinced myself that that was normal. Yet then once in a while, someone would come into my office and, and, you know, most of the time women would come into my office and they would completely affirm what I was feeling. You know, that affirmation bias we have where we look for things that yeah. affirm what we believe. And so I felt very comfortable that I was normal because I kept hearing my story repeated to me, but it was so unhealthy. It's that um, common enemy intimacy that Brene Brown talks about. We all kind of gathered together and made jokes about how we didn't like our husbands either. And all this, I admit that that's what I said and I did. Um, because it's just a way to numb the pain but then when I, I I really started paying attention when I started going through menopause and life kind of was unraveling that once in a while someone would come in who had this totally different story she'd be 55 and just glowing and talking about her amazing connected relationship with her partner and um, I was just like what is <laughs> really can tell me tell me more tell me all the details and I would joke that I wanted to draw their blood and see if they had some strange genetic mutation or something like that but as I paid more attention uh, you know we pay attention to what we choose to pay attention to right so previously I was paying attention to all the women who affirmed my uh, depressing story and then I, I just switched gears and said wait a second let me pay attention to women who seem to have figured this out and I want to know what they know and if they have some things in common for my own selfish interests and then maybe just maybe I could teach that to other people so I came up with this idea to do a study which was very outside of my box and I had to get my bravery on and work with a group of researchers and we uh, sent a very very in-depth sexual survey out to thousands of women in the 45 to 65 year old age group and uh, there were 85 questions that were very very personal and designed to weed out these particular women and so there were several questions that the research team isolated as uh, questions that if you answered in this certain way you were more likely to be in this group that we now call the sexually woke and so we filtered down and found those women and then I interviewed them and those that uh, consented to have their stories um, uh, relayed in the book um, have uh, many of those stories are in the book. So it was this super fun process. I um, had the best time interviewing them and I was, uh, you know, recorded it all and had it all transcribed. And I was just like learning every day, like, oh my goodness, like really you can be in relationships like that? I've never that's never happened to me. Like, um, and just the more I talked to them, the more I started to wake up too. And, you know, I left my marriage, which was a really good decision for both of us and just realized that I, I wanted more. Like, I want this, like, this is what I, I, I mean, I will just go ahead and say, I, I need this, like to be my full self. And so I love the idea of living in your full aliveness. I, I don't want to go through this very short, precious life and not explore every corner 
that is available. I, I don't want to live in a box anymore. Yeah. I want to. We're totally on the same page with that. Yeah. And one one thing before you go farther, I want to I want to say thank you for being. You you mentioned in the book that you went when you were doing the study and you moved into sort of a learning modality that you went from a paradigm of a healer wounded person sort of di dichotomy with your patients or a hero and a victim to this mutuality and um that that sort of mutual respect i found so beautiful um in your process yeah so we're trained as uh doctors even i think to this day um in traditional medicine uh to which i think is very sad to approach our patients from a sort of higher than place and the whole you know wearing a white coat and all of these you know stethoscope around the neck and all the other kind of accoutrements of being a doctor and um it, it's a it's a huge ego thing and it and it sets us apart and some doctors still sit behind a desk you know and talk to the patient over there it, and very much uh, i'm i'm the hero and you're the wounded and so i'm going to fix you and you just do what i tell you and so i got really interested in that and actually shortly after that went through um coaching training because I was so interested in this dynamic of what I call the drama triangle. I didn't make it up, but I really love the drama triangle where there's a hero and a victim and a villain. And anytime you're in a hero victim, any, you know, we can be all three in one sentence, but I certainly can. But I, I really like the hero role. That's my favorite because I like saving people and it makes me feel, makes boosts my ego. Oftentimes when they don't even want to be saved and, and then I get angry at them for not thanking me for doing something they never asked me to do. So just kind of pulling that apart. I relationships like that too. <laughs> yes. You know, it's just, I'll save you. And then, you know, yeah. you do your best and you're a midwife for their next future. And then they're just really not grateful. Right. I don't understand it. Well, they don't, they don't want to be a victim because, you know, a exactly. hero requires a victim. So exactly. whenever you're a hero, you need a victim. And so I most, I would just go out there and say that most, you know, physician-patient relationships are a hero-victim relationship. And um, Pema Chodron has this beautiful quote, and she's an American Buddhist nun um, that I quoted in the book about compassion not being a relationship between uh, a hero and a wounded. It's a relationship between two equals. And you have to recognize your own pain uh, to to be able to really relate to another person's pain. And um, that totally changed the way I practiced medicine. And I got actually got out of the whole traditional medicine insurance thing and went, now I have a small, very intimate concierge practice where I see patients for an hour and we sit next to each other on the couch, you know, with a little spacing for COVID. And I don't wear a white coat ever. I, uh, I just, I'm just a woman talking to another woman. And I might know a little bit more about my certain area than she does uh and i'll give her my opinion when she asks but she she's an amazing person on her own and i i'm not going to save her from anything that's not my role we're, we're collaborating in you know reaching our full aliveness together and she helps me as much as i help her and this learning process through the research was so much like that um i i mean i learned I learned how to be the person I am now, which I'm really ex happy with. Um, and I'm, she's not finished yet, but I'm super happy now, more ever so than before, and I'm 53, from learning this stuff from these women who were uh, not doctors and not experts in anything in particular, except they just knew how to be themselves. And what an amazing- be in their own life. Yeah, like, and like holy cow, how do I get that? So, you know, when I, yeah. when I got the book, I kind of expected it to be like, um, 
you know, helpful hints and things like that. But I was yeah. very gratified and surprised to see that it was really uh, focusing a lot on the relationship between spirituality and sexual satisfaction and joy. And I found that it was, you know, a little bit ironic that when you don't identify so much with the body and these labels that you talked about earlier, that the body actually ends up uh, giving you more pleasure. Because for me, it seems like you, you worry less about the body, you're less identified with it, and that way you can be more free around it. But I thought mm -hmm. we could talk a little bit about the connection between spirituality and sexual satisfaction or joy, because you found that in your research, right? Yeah, and I, I had a... Um... I had an idea, I, I had an idea that something was there, you know, that needed to be explored. And then my own spiritual journey, um, my own spiritual path took me down a road that really seemed to intersect with this. And it just, it just kind of made sense. And I, I wanted to figure out how other people felt about it. So uh, in my book, I talk about there's, uh, first of all, there's a million kinds of sex, right? But I'm just going to narrow it down and say there's two. There's the kind you have when you're, or the kind I had, and many of us have when we're saying our twenties, or when we're fertile, which is is really biologically driven, and it, I call that animal sex. Not to say there's anything wrong with it; it can be a ton of fun, and if both people consent, it's great. But but the biological drive is is around fertility, and there's for me at least, and most of the people I talk to, less spirituality around it. In fact, you know, telling a 20-year-old that sex has something spiritual to do with it, they'd be like, what? <laughs> I can't it It didn't for me. It was just sex, and, you know, that was fine. And then it was about making babies and, and, and et cetera. But what happens when we're not fertile anymore? Like, what, what, why are we still having sex? I mean, there's no reason for it, really, right? Um, so then, then I thought, you know, why are we having sex when we're not fertile anymore? Like, what is the driver? And I, I have this very strong idea that's sort of a, I don't know, it sort of flowed through me that it's just about connection. And in that, you know, physical, intimate connection, which isn't just vaginal intercourse, that's just one out of a hundred different things we can do. And, and when people talk about sex, just think, you know, it's so many things. It's a physical, intimate connection of any kind. Um, we're able to taste that we're actually all interconnected. So in my spiritual understanding, we really are all interconnected and we forget this sometimes a lot. Uh, forget and remember, forget and remember all day long. But in the moments that I can remember that we're all interconnected, I feel so joyful. And when I've looked back mm -hmm. and thought, you know, when was I really joyful? Like all of those moments shared this deep feeling of interconnection with others. And, you know, sexual connection is so it's such a profound, you know, it's not even a metaphor. It's a profound event where you actually are interconnected with another person. And uh, when we can let go of all of the you know limiting beliefs in our mind I used to have sex thinking about the groceries and thinking about whether my stomach looked good or not and I, you know when we can let go of all of that and just be fully present in the sexual mm -hmm. encounter we can really understand what interconnection feels like and that is to me the definition of spirituality just this understanding that we're all interconnected by a force and this is a Brene Brown quote I'm going to misquote by a force that's guided in love and compassion and and this is a way to practice it to to do that with someone you love and 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 that that warm that, that amazing feeling it's oxytocin that's just 
juicy, amazing feeling that we get when we drop our ego boundaries and just understand that we're not alone. You know, we're actually all part of this incredible spiritual experience. There's a writer who talks about the third body we create. And yes. That you're, when you make love, you're not you and another person. You're actually creating a new entity that's together. It's one organism. And that the third body needs nourishment and it needs support, just like your own body needs nourishment and support. And so lovemaking becomes a way of bringing the third body play and sensation and rest and energy release and and all kinds of other things that are nourishing to this union. So 100%, I agree with you. I love that. And that actually reminds me, and I had never heard that before, but one of the amazing women who um, I interviewed for the book is actually an Episcopal priest in Houston. She's the most incredible person. And she was talking to me about Episcopal theology, which I was not very uh, well versed in. And she described this exact same thing that in, in the Episcopal tradition, um, sex is always about a third and the third might be, you know, making a baby or something like that. But once you're not fertile anymore, the third is this relationship. And so when we're not codependent, when we're not sort of locked together so that we're not independent, there's a two fully functioning human beings. And then this third entity, which is the relationship. And if, if we're really growing out of codependence, which for me is a, such a lifelong challenge and I'm so, I'll uh, work on it forever. But once we're free from codependence and we're truly independent and fully living in our own power and not outsourcing our security power and control to another person and not wanting them to change or be different, then we can actually give energy to this third entity. And so uh, I love that um, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks, who are amazing uh, authors in relationship work, talk about the co-creation being the opposite of codependence. So codependence kind of sucks energy out of the relationship where co-creation, you're actually giving energy to it. So you're creating this third thing so so one plus one isn't two it's three and that sounds kind of corny and I never understood it but now I totally understand and that's exactly what your poet is talking about it's really an amazing um insight just to be like yeah I see that now um it's not a non-sexual moment with a partner that uh we went we went did like a hot tub cold plunge thing and then we're in the big pool and we're swimming around and all of a sudden he grabs me and we start dancing in the water like dancing like those <sighs> old um movies those those you know where they're like the legs are up in synchronization swimming or something like that we're dancing and i'm reaching and and time completely stopped we were mm. just moving around each other's bodies and floating and um it was one of the most sexual experiences and it had no kissing and no intercourse and no tongue anywhere you know and, yeah and i i was com- i felt completely in my body and completely alive and all we were doing was listening to each other's muscles and mm, mm-hmm. so good and and that's what i think like when we get rigid about like what is sexuality what is sensuality what is feeling good what is being connected to your partner and it becomes about orgasm or you know so many other um things that get sort of preferential treatment and what is satisfaction this whole piece of being in this slow sensual connection with another person gets a little bit downplayed yeah for sure and those moments are so delicious and i i i remember one of those i had that was similar um just like sitting under i was at a resort that had one of those hot tubs with a 
you know, fountain that you can sit under that lands on your head and just sitting yeah. under it, <laughs> rubbing each other's yeah. shoulders and being just absolutely present. Like there was no place else that my mind wanted to be. And just, there's no sex that we weren't even face to face. It was, but again, that intimate physical connection, that is sexual that's so sexy and just getting rid of the like if all we are is goal directed um you know i have to have an orgasm and then it just becomes so much work like it's it um we we lose or i do if i have to have an orgasm i it takes me out of the present because i have to start thinking of fantasies or whatever i need to do to get there <laughs> but just being actually being a hundred percent present with the person that you're with um anytime we can be present. I mean, meditation, it doesn't have to be talking about sex, you know, if we're talking about anything at all, just those moments when we can be completely present with another person are so precious. And so I'm talking about it through the lens of sex, because that's my, uh, where I live <laughs> in sex world. But um, any, any time, um, the, the biggest gift we can ever give anyone is our full attention and just presence. And it feels surreal and magic okay and it is spiritual that I mean this is where we realize that we're actually connected yeah, um this is beautiful let's talk about what these secrets are because we hit on one which is sort of spirituality but why don't you walk us through a few of these uh secrets of the sexually woke um yeah that's... so that uh, you know and I've, I've given up trying to not give away the secrets because they're just like, not even that secret they're just they're just good um and so you know, I go I go through the book and tell a lot of stories that are very entertaining. And then in, in the last section of the book, I narrowed down. It was very hard to do. I've, originally, I had five or six, and then I kind of realized they overlapped. And so I narrowed it down to three. Three very large categories that all of these women had in common. And the first one was knowing themselves really deeply. It had nothing to do with the other person. Each one of these women really knew themselves deeply. And, and by that, I mean... They, they spent a lot of time alone. They they committed time to uh, so, some type of self-awareness practice. Um, maybe it, it was uh, church, yoga, meditation. Uh, they'd all done work and continued to do it. None of them had been handed, you know, life. They, they weren't born knowing this stuff. Um, but they were very confident in their own skin. And they weren't all or maybe any like traditionally fantastically beautiful or rich or anything like that. They had just learned to love themselves, tr like truly love themselves so that they could stay in their own shoes. And I, I like that. I always think of this, stay in my own shoes so that the winds of the world don't blow you around so much. Like, uh, you know, when something happens that, that I don't want to happen or something goes away that I wished would stay longer, I'm not, just crushed I can stay in my own shoes and just manage things better because I know myself I trust myself and they they all shared this amazing ability just to be trusting themselves and loving themselves so they didn't need their partner so that was the that was the key they they didn't have they weren't codependent let's just put it that way they, they didn't they love their partners um, deeply but they, they didn't need them they, they were fine on their own they had their own lives, their own passions, their own things, and really enjoyed self-care. So that that was an amazing revelation that seems so obvious. But, you know, we hear all these cliches like you can't love someone else unless you love yourself. And, and that just sort of went right over my head. And I didn't really understand it until I 
till really I wrote this book. Like I totally get it. You cannot give what you don't have. You cannot. Um, if you're living in a place of scarcity where you're not enough and you don't have enough and you don't, you wish you were like this or you wish you were like that, you don't have enough to support yourself, let alone to give someone else. And so I, I really understood the that very often repeated cliche that you cannot love someone else until you love yourself. So that was number one. Um, the second one was around opening to possibility. And that... Um, just goes back to that idea of living in a box. You know, as someone who's been divorced, and many of these women I talked to had been divorced or that it wasn't their first relationship, in, in some way or another, most of us feel trapped um, if we're not you know, gloriously happy. In some way or another, we feel trapped. Maybe we're trapped in a relationship we don't like. Maybe we're trapped with situations around our job that we don't like maybe we're trapped in a body that we don't like in some way we feel trapped and you know, so to me trapped is, is the opposite of freedom um, we're not free if we feel trapped and so this idea of opening to possibility um, really resonated with me when I heard so many women talking about them getting out of their box or opening the door of their own prison or there all of these metaphors about coming out of their shell. I mean, there's so many metaphors around that idea of just getting out of the box that was not designed by you. It was designed by someone else, <laughs> like parents, media, church, whoever, and, and being able to open wake up again open wake up these same metaphors to the possibility that um and the book is primarily about women who are over 40 that that the second half of life isn't terrible it's not you know i don't want to be younger i don't even want to look younger i the possibility that the second half of life is the best part of life because now we have this incredible wisdom and the ability to understand things that we couldn't understand when we were fertile and focused on having babies so that that was the second one just opening to possibility and all the different ways that they expressed it and the last one was around attention and intention so their attention and intention are slightly different but um, to make a long story shorter uh, these women all put a lot of intention into the relationship they didn't take it for granted so even little things like I there's lovely stories about people who'd been married for 30 years and they'd leave little sticky notes on the bathroom mirror or um, do fun things like take their undies off at the dinner table and hand them to their partner under the table or oh, just uh, very intentional like just to keep it going it, uh, you know a relationship this third being that we've identified is like a plant you have to water it and you have to give it yeah. nutrition and nurture it. And if we just sort of leave learn it alone. Learn again. Like you have to learn how to Yeah, fun. Oh, I love that story about hand. Um, I just was dying laughing when she told me that story. And another another cute story, one of um, the participants said, she was very confident. She said, you know, it's really, she'd been married for 30 plus years. You know, it's really easy. Everybody likes about five things. Find out what those are and just do them all the time. It's, I mean, it was so simple, and I'm like, uh, that's that, simple, that, but that's <laughs> that, that may be oversimplifying, but I, you know, in a way, it's like, why don't we do that? Like, I know these things that my partner likes. I mean, in in, in her examples, we're not talking about sex here. She said he really likes uh, 
espresso and he really likes certain type of bacon. She was a little bit older, but I just thought her perspective was so cute. She, she made sure that he always had these things that he loved and he did the same for her just to nurture um, that third entity of the relationship to take care of it and, and, and make it fun. Um, and, you know, in, in the bedroom, things can get very heavy when we're not talking about this stuff. So there's this gigantic elephant in the room and, um, you know, we've got to pay attention and, you know, have these conversations that seem difficult and be very intentional about keeping the relationship alive. It's not going to live by itself. You when, know? I, when I got out of my, um, I, I met my husband at 16 and married him at 18. And when I got out of that marriage, we had four kids and, um, I went to a love and ecstasy training, sort of a Tantra training. And it was super, super basic um, stuff. But the I remember watching the couple, Steve and Lupita Carter, sit down and face each other, kind of cross-legged. And they made an imaginary bubble around themselves. And they looked each other in the eye and they gave each other a compliment. And then they said, um, I want to bring into our circle joy and love and um playfulness and I want to push out of the circle irritation and annoyance and here are my boundaries around the circle uh, or this bubble um, I have a conference call in 45 minutes and I need to be done by then and then the other person would go and then they sat down and had a kind of an eye-to-eye heart-to-heart communication about a particular subject where they just listened deeply and sat with one another and I was witnessing this and I started weeping because I'd never seen two adult lovers communicate like that or two adults communicate like that ever with that level of presence and care and attention to conversation. And then later in the training, they modeled how you like if your partner is laying there, you can say, do you like the way this feels? Do you want this harder or softer? Do you like it here? Oh, I like that. That feels really good. You know, and it was like even just touching on your arm uh, to do the that particular exercise. They had us like play with tickle and punch and hold and all kinds of different things but even the invitation to play and be like not so drama about sex like oh it's all hot and torrid no it's like you can have this conversation so that that was a big awakening for me yeah that's such yeah. it's so beautiful and i i love that stuff so much in fact i'll, I'll share and i've shared in the book that i was married for 18 years and i wasn't uh looking for another person but I accidentally met somebody who listened to me yeah that's all all he did he 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 listened to me and he we were at a triathlon race and I was there by myself and my uh, husband at the time wasn't there because we didn't do anything together (laughs) so I was uh, I was scared and uh, this man who I didn't know started talking to me and he wanted to know about my fear he's like what are you scared of like just tell me about it and he was looking at me the eye and I had the same weepy experience like no one had ever asked me those questions like how are you feeling like what tell me about that like I want to know more and I'd been married for 18 years and we had never talked with that degree of vulnerability and I was with a complete stranger and so I I realized at that moment I want this is how I I need to live like this <laughs> I need That's to right. I, yeah I need so, to live so like know this yourself, and, yeah. know yourself deeply open to possibility and attention and intention but like you're saying it did take quite a bit of for me at least and I know from your book that it took quite a bit of effort 
to um, explore that and to release old stories. And I think you have one really beautiful quote in the book where you said, transformation cannot take place in an echo chamber. And for me, that manifested as the need to find new communities, new friends. Didn't mean I abandoned the old ones, but, you know, there were just ways in which growing into this non-mother, you know, non-wife required me to find new people who would see me as a individuated being. So can you talk a little bit about the getting out of your echo chamber and what are the best ways to go out and do these three steps if someone's just getting started? Yeah, it's just, it's hard, isn't it? Like, let, so I, I see life now really, um, I didn't make this up. One of my uh, a meditation teacher told me this. She said, you know, it's really just about abandoning and adopting. This is what we're doing here. We're abandoning and adopting. It's very simple. We're abandoning things that are no longer serving us and, and leading us forward and adopting new things that are going to serve us. And so, um, you know, understanding impermanence it, it is hard to let go of, I had to let go of some old friendships that weren't serving me. I let go of a marriage that wasn't serving me. I let go of a job that wasn't serving me. And that can feel very scary. Uh, but what we're adopting is, is the exciting part to, to move towards the things that really bring you joy, where you're living in what I call in coaching language, your zone of genius. Like, where do you mm -hmm. feel alive? And and I literally ask myself that question. And, and I ask clients that question, like, what do you love? What do you love? What do you love? Over and over again. Like, where do you feel alive? And what are those? Let's write down those lists and then look at them and, and think about them. And, and don't be afraid to let go of old things because everything's impermanent and letting go of things. We love them and we can wave goodbye to them with love and then adopt things that are going to draw us more into our zone of genius. And so finding friends the echo chamber part, I mean, you can't do it alone. I mean, none of, we're not alone. I mean, the, this, this whole delusion that we are alone is what's driving so much depression and anxiety and self-hatred and all of the things that I want to abandon. And so finding a, a, a group of like-minded people, um, and it might be, I don't, I don't need a hundred friends, just a couple of friends, people who understand what I'm talking about. Um, and so I, I started doing things like going to, you know, like the thing you went to, going to a, an interest, a retreat, you know, back in pre-COVID, you could go to retreats. Now you can do things on Zoom. Finding communities where you, you want to join on Zoom and just be part of a conversation. I have a women's circle that I do every month. And, and that's such mm -hmm. a beautiful way to connect with women and just talk about stuff where you can be free and just be yourself. Um, yeah, just stepping into those new environments. Absolutely. Like I went to, I remember I started Burning Man, Tantra training, all these things. My kids thought I was losing my mind. Yeah. I was losing my mind and I was building a new mind that yep. was not so rigid, you know, wasn't, yeah, I, that, that was a great time. And then if you, I mean, even if you Google like finding yourself in midlife, you'll come up with tons of great resources and coaches. And just, if you don't have someone in your immediate community who you can lean into, who looks like they're doing it happy, glowing, radiant at 55 or 60, then go find one of these um, expert groups and, and, and do it that way. Because the worst thing that can happen is that people lock in on their own traumas. Yes. You know, people, people become like, um, 
They form their bonds based on their wounding and their traumas to reinforce their existing belief system. And so you're, when people say you're vibrating at, you vibrate at the, at the level of the people you hang out with the most, the five people you're closest to, like that, that system of friendship and hangout has been created by your wounding just as much as by your creativity and joy. This is going to happen until you're 80 or 90, if you're lucky. Um, but so, so there is this other side of being in having a great sex life. That is, you do all these things and still you're not wet. You do all these things and still, you know, your hormones are all over the map. So because you are an OBGYN, I do want to take a couple of minutes to talk about the things you have. Like in today's newsletter, you had hormones and the O-shot and labioplasty and things like that, as well as house calls for pellet injections or pellet <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you do everything. You do everything. <laughs> so um, let's let's say, okay, I've, I've, let me posit the scenario. I'm 54. I'm past menopause. I've started meditating. I found some new friends. I'm um, exercising again and getting in touch with my body. I'm sitting in silence. I'm asking myself, what do you desire? What do you desire? Who are you? What do you desire? Over and over until it gets clear what I desire in the absence of my children. And uh, and and now I'm going to come and see you. And I'm kind of happy, but I'm still not having great sex. Um, what what are these procedures and possibilities uh, that you extend to your patients? Yeah. So you know, sex is so complex, and so there, there's the spiritual side that is we've talked about. Um, that the book focuses on, but we cannot ignore that there are anatomic changes that happen as we get older. So there's the brain um, and the heart, and then there's the anatomic realities of the vagina. So I, I you know I, I believe that we weren't really meant to live after 50. So this whole living after 50 thing is very, very new. Even 200 years ago, we didn't live after 50. So we, we have to be creative uh, about how to optimize the second half of life physically. So, you know, physically optimizing our vagina and our clitoris is really important. We have the most, the most important uh, sex organ for sure is the brain. I mean, without a doubt. So that's the most, that number one most important thing because I can make your vagina and clitoris as fantastic as possible but if you're not um if you're codependent and in an unhealthy relationship that's not going to help at all so we sort of have to address both things so um this is a really long conversation but very uh briefly uh, obviously when we go through menopause our hormones change and that can lead to vaginal dryness and decrease in libido and no matter what we do and how much we meditate and become self-aware those are physical things that uh, do create a barrier because you know if something's painful we're going to withdraw from it um, and so uh, hormones uh, bioidentical hormones can very safely be used to help with vaginal dryness so that we are able to lubricate and enjoy the sexual experience now some women are not able to take hormones if they've had breast cancer or radiation and so then, then I teach other things we don't have to have vaginal intercourse in fact 60% of women don't have an orgasm with vaginal intercourse so abandoning vaginal intercourse isn't the end of the world if that's something that you have to do due to anatomic changes so I work through all of those things but you know hopefully we want to keep all of the options open so uh, hormonal optimization um, is important and that can be done uh, through pellets or various other modalities that are very safe and then um, there's lots of other fun things that we can do um, you some of your listeners might have heard of the O-Shot, which is a brand name for um, using platelet-rich plasma 
to inject into the clitoris. Now that sounds really scary and painful, but it's not painful. Um, we make sure it doesn't hurt. I've had it done myself. This is real science. So platelet-rich plasma has been used for years for treatment of orthopedic injuries, wound healing. You can inject it in your head and it'll make your hair grow back. It's this miraculous stuff that we draw out of your own arm. So we draw your own blood and then process it into um, the plasma, which is full of all of these um, amazing healing agents and so wherever you put it basically new blood vessels grow so you can imagine a woman my age I'm 53 the clitoris has started to shrink it has less blood flow uh, so the nerves surrounding it gets get less blood too and so it might it just takes longer to have an orgasm it's like maybe I can't quite get there and the blood isn't flowing down there so men can just take a Viagra and their blood flow increases but it's not quite that easy for us so the platelet-rich plasma injected into the clitoris is absolutely incredible at restoring blood flow to the clitoris and we also inject it into the anterior vaginal wall i was so skeptical i can't even tell you until i had this done myself and now like if i hear a sexy um somebody blows in my ear or i see a sexy movie i can literally feel the blood rushing to my pelvis like oh I, I have my little oh it's it's really true real so and then moving into, you know, surgical and non-surgical things, uh, I, I 100% wish that everybody loved her body as it is. But there are some very real things that can happen during childbirth, for example. If you've had four 10-pound babies vaginally, you're just not going to have much muscle tone. And, and then you don't have friction that, um, it, you know, it doesn't help with orgasm because there's no friction and it can be very uncomfortable and so there are some surgical and non-surgical things that can be done to re-establish that muscle tone in the vagina so those are just some of the things that can be done but again you can do all of that and if you if you're not in a healthy relationship with yourself and your partner and you haven't done all those things we've talked about that's really not going to help you at all except to masturbate more which is perfectly great um, but it, it's true there have been studies done on if we optimize the vagina and clitoris but don't optimize the relationship, it leads to more orgasms but not with another person. And I just think that's such an amazing, it's like, yeah, well, we don't want to connect. We just want to have an orgasm. <laughs> we, we don't really need a partner to have an orgasm. That's not why we do it. That's easy to achieve on your own with a vibrator or whatever, right? The, the point of being with a partner is to connect so I just think that's so fascinating. Um, yeah, it's a it's a both yes and got to have the mind, heart, body all connected. I saw a research study they published at Ishwish I think this year on uh, why women masturbate, and sixty percent of it was just orgasm as a stress relief. Yeah, like, that's why. That's what I why really I did it. To yeah. Do with, yeah. So. Not, um, yeah, it's not about love or connection. I would do it because I was stressed and it was very effective because you produce oxytocin, but absolutely nothing to do with love or connection. Um, so that's a whole different animal. It's useful, but this is another, that's a different world. And that's, that's all good too. I mean, you want to do that. a little bit about like um, women past 70? You have women, you have older women in your practice and I do. I've been really, I've been really curious about um, why. Basically, it's like menopause and then the next 40 years. Yeah. 
and that there must be more stages between that and the time that you say your final goodbyes that aren't really teased out because older women have been so ignored. So I, I just wonder what you're seeing in your practice and in that age group, are their needs different? Do their, do their desires, affect change around sensuality and sexuality? I think that's going to be my next book because as I get older, I'm going to find out what there's, that is really, I mean, basically everybody over 45, I think feels like a lost generation. So I really paid attention in this particular book and study to the 45 to 65 group. But yeah, what about the 65 to hundred group? Um, they often have lost their partner. And so, um, often they're, uh, alone single which isn't they're not alone they're single um, and then most frequently they have not been taken care of well from 50 to 75 so we see a lot of very serious vaginal dryness and vaginal atrophy to the point where you can barely get a pencil in the vagina so it's it's really tragic that this knowledge wasn't available to uh, women and so my mother's 87 in her age group after menopause, nothing was offered to the, that generation. So they, they really are uh, struggling um, with few exceptions. So that's a, it's, um, that's a, I really am going to write another book about that because uh, that is going to be the way we live. And, you know, I'm 53 and I'll probably live to be 100. Um, and now, in our generation with good health and good luck, we will probably live to be 100. So what we do now is, absolutely going to affect our health, um, you know, bone loss, Alzheimer's disease, vaginal health, all of that when we get into that age group. But a lot of those women or almost all of them didn't have the opportunity to do that when they were our age. Like my my mom didn't do anything and she's in terrible shape. Uh, So even the sensuality component, I remember after my grandfather died, my, my grandmother she said to me, you know, I haven't been touched in years. I was like, how can you go without touch? Why don't you get a professional massage therapist? Anyway, I got a professional, I, I went and got a massage thing so that I could touch her and not hurt her. But um, my, my general feeling, and she was such a beautiful young woman. And she was, you know, came of, you know, became elderly at a time when there weren't as many uh, options for feeling appealing and being like just your joyful uh, natural self. It was all about how you looked. And she had built so much of her life on being beautiful that by the time that when that faded, there wasn't much else there. And so she was sort of irritated and untouched and unloved. And she just got crankier and more bitter as she got older. Um, and it yeah. made me so sad, you know? And so I feel like by paying attention to this, like there is beauty in every age. The beauty is the soul shining out the eyes. It's in your smile. It's in how much you're curious about the world. And yes, you should be touched. And yes, sexuality and sensuality are a real part of this. You probably need moisturizer. There are other degradation things that happen in the body, you know, that we can address some of that. But that instead of it being taboo or worse than taboo, completely unacknowledged, which is as if you're an invisible being. um, Yeah. Yeah, I would love to read that. Yeah, I, I think, and I'm really glad you brought that up because it's reminded me that that's a really important piece of work that somebody needs to do. The older, you know, so 45 to 65, you know, I now I think that's young because I'm in that group, right? But that I focused on that group. Um, however, there's a lot more, like you said, and um, the culture for, for women who are in their 70s and 80s, 
was very, even more so than for us, way more so than for us, very, very closed around subjects of sex. And so most women that I interact with in that age group are, are very, they don't have much knowledge about sex. I mean, their sex life was just maybe missionary position, vaginal intercourse. That was it. And they didn't, whether they got pleasure or not, wasn't really a question. Um, it was very much a um, an imbalanced relationship with the man being in charge and the woman being lesser than. And so um, that, that particular group of women are really struggling. And I, I feel so compassionate towards the the struggle that that must be like just feeling like a shell and not ha- they've you know like you said they don't they've lost everything that was um valuable to them and don't weren't given the tools to see value in themselves and we don't see a lot of 70 and 80 year olds at these tantra self-compassion workshops well um, i want that i want more of them there that's my i point. do too like the yeah thing you said know yourself deeply be open to possibility and have attention and intention is completely available to you if you're 95 or 75 or 45 or 25 the earlier the better my friends that's right it's absolutely there, right know? yeah so i think i think that's also um, this is about being free, just being free to feel your feelings and feel your body and ask the questions you need to ask. Be curious and not be ashamed to ask them so you can get help when you need it from a medical professional or a counselor or a coach or a tantra teacher. And that's kind of what I wish for everybody. That's why I started this, you know, that everybody's free. Yeah. That's such a beautiful wish. And it, it is. It's about freedom, like freedom from this oppressive squeeze of the ego telling you you should be this or you should be that and this box. And I alluded to that earlier, but in as much as we feel trapped in a box, we're not free. But you know what? We actually are free. The truth is we are free. What what we do as humans, and it's not our fault, we all come with a standard issue human brain, which has some little glitches. To, to realize that we actually are free. We were born free. And then we put ourselves in a box and we can set ourselves free. And, and that's what I wish for everyone too. So I would, I just want to thank you. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I really love this. We could go on forever, but we're coming up on the hour. So. Oh, I'm just so excited that you're doing this work because it's, it's so important. Um, you know, health, you know, as a, as a physician, my commitment has been to, you know, advance health of women and you know just make sure that that's what you're getting because i mean taking a pile of pills and other things is is really maybe not advancing your health and just i looking at this abandoning and adopting idea and being being brave enough because everyone you, you got you have this incredibly brave courageous soul that is ready to take the next step and and what is the voice that's telling you not to and whose voice is it just like you deserve this because you're, you're an amazing gift of God or your higher power, and, and we all deserve it. And I'm so excited that you're doing this work. And um, if you want to read the book, that would be fun. Sexually Woke is fun. And you can reach me at uh, com. And if you want, I can be your coach or your anything you want, um, because I just love this work so much. And um, we, we each need to find people that want to do this work together. And so I can be a resource and Christine can be a resource and we'll just 
help and each we other. Have 80, we have 80 ambassadors who cover the country and they're every age. They're the youngest one is 19 and the oldest one is 70. And they are of all races and religions and orientations. So if you want to, you know, tap into some of those, some of them just teach belly dance uh, as a way of accessing sensuality. And some of them teach how to do pelvic massage. So it really runs the gamut. So you can look at our ambassador directory. Also, um, what else? You know, in the in the deep tantra, not the neo tantra, which is about sexuality and so people pick up on that here because it is so repressed. But in the deeper Tantra, the whole worldview, this fits in so well with what you're talking about, is that you, Susan, and me are just emanations of the divine force. And our whole job is to completely be ourselves and full joy of creation so that we can turn around and reflect that back to God and say, check it out. This is something else you could turn into. Um, <laughs> you know? Don't let anyone ever make you feel smaller than you are. Like, be big. Be big. Be, be big. All right, my friends. Well, I've so enjoyed this conversation. We will put links in the show notes to all of these, uh, the book and, and, her, and, and Susan's website. And she's just getting started on Instagram. And we'll get it all out there for you to follow up. And if you have any questions, you can email us, info at rosewoman.com, and we will uh, make sure they get answered. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun and I look forward to meeting any of you out there who want to say, stop in and say hi on my website. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rose Woman Pod. I'm Christine Marie Mason, your host. The pod is brought to you by Rosebud Woman, a company I started in the intimate skincare space. You can find our amazing products at rosewoman.com. Vegan, plant-based, pure, effective, all the good stuff. The guests and I imagine people out there when we do these shows and think, how can we bring one little bit of insight, one little lever to create more spaciousness or happiness out to the world? So if you like the pod, you know what to do. Please share it, rate it, review it, subscribe, all of that stuff so that we can feel your love and support and keep doing it. Have a wonderful day no matter where you're at. May the grace and joy that rests at the center of you be readily apparent.